Hello and welcome to Tech Crack, the podcast series brought to you by Sync NI. We are Northern Ireland's leading technology and business media company, and this podcast series will see us interview some of the best, brightest, and most influential thought leaders from across NI's business and tech sectors. Find out more on SyncNI.com or follow us across our social media channels. And enjoy. This week, I'm joined by Wayne Denner, cybersecurity and online safety expert. Wayne is also the co-founder of learning and development platform CoBabble, the host of the Zero Lives Left podcast, and he regularly visits schools to deliver cyber safeguarding talks to children all over Northern Ireland. If you're interested in learning more about Wayne, or interested in CoBabble or any of his blogs and cybersecurity tips, check out his website, www.waynedenner.com, and enjoy this week's episode. Well, this is it. Like you're a jack of all trades. You're a speaker, an author, a coach, an entrepreneur. Um, first off, I just want to talk about like how did you actually get started doing what you do in terms of uh, cyber safety and going into schools and public speaking with kids, etc. Yeah, I suppose <clears throat> to go right back, Neve. Um, I originally sort of got interested in technology uh, in about sort of ninety five, ninety six. Um, around that time. Um, technology was starting to become a thing in schools um, and back then and it's hard for some people to believe who maybe are listening to this um, in the school that I went to there was like three computers for the whole you know student population and it, like to get onto a computer um, you know was was a battle uh, because everybody wanted to use them um, because there wasn't a case where every classroom had 30 machines or a machine for every person it just wasn't that case so I got fascinated by technology initially um, I got fascinated by computers um, you know how they work um, basic sort of programming skills basic sort of you know understanding of how the machine can be used and then really as the internet started to phase in uh, in the sort of late 90s um, where more and more people started to get online that's where my fascination really got um, more intense because not only could you go online now and you could sort of write some basic code and you could create a little application but you could actually communicate with people right across the world and back then i was using aol which was like very early internet um i think every house in northern ireland or indeed ireland had aol they were like they were like the pioneers of bringing the internet into people's homes and i remember having it on my family computer and getting the cd um, and installing it and booting it all up and being able to go online and just go into the AOL directory and just search for people. And like you could send people instant messages and you could, you know, directly start to have a conversation with somebody. So over time, I started to sort of, you know, explore the online world. I started to get into basic website development and design. Um, and that sort of progressed into the online, you know, entrepreneur aspect of what it is I do. Uh, and if we fast forward to sort of, you know, the, 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 the late 90s, sort of 99, 2000s, um, we actually launched a very early social networking website called outlastnight.com. And over about a three-year period, we grew it to a user base of, of 83,000 registered users. Now, I tell this story um, because this is important because back then there was no Facebook and there was no inter- Instagram and there was no Snapchat. You know, there was none of those platforms but we had created this very early social networking platform that allowed two things to happen. It allowed us to upload pictures of our nights out and it initially started as a scrapbook of our lives. But then we started to have students come on board and sort of work on the platform. And then we had like photographers who went out to nightclubs right across Northern Ireland and indeed further afield and took pictures of people out enjoying themselves and they uploaded them to the internet. And every Monday morning, we would have a huge influx of traffic of people coming on to look at their pictures from their nights out. So we're talking, you know, venues in Belfast, you know, the Bamboo Beach Club. That's how long ago this was. We're we're talking, you know, the limelight. We're talking all of these, the M Club in Belfast. We used to go to those venues with our photographers and they used to take pictures of people out enjoying themselves and they would be posted online every Monday morning and we would get a surge of traffic. So this was the precursor to Bebo. Um, which, you know, is no longer with us either. Yeah. That's kind of where I started out in that sort of online space. Very passionate about using the technology, but also looking for ways back then that I could use the internet mainly to, um, to generate revenue, 
to sell things, to build things that people would want to buy. And, and of course, back in those days, very few people had websites. I mean, most people were still advertising in the local newspaper. Most people were still advertising in the yellow pages. Um, and I remember actually pitching people websites in must be 2000, 2001. And people were saying to me, no, why, why would I need a website? Um, sure, I advertise in the local newspaper or I've got my advertisement in uh, the yellow pages. And that's how they were getting their leads. Um, and again, it was trying to make people aware of the benefits of going online uh, and, and how you could use this from a business perspective. So over those sort of years, I learned a, a sort of a great foundation about the online space, how it worked, um, how I could use it as a sales tool fundamentally to build relationships with people, to communicate with people, to tell people my story and what it is that I do. But not just in Northern Ireland, in a small, small sort of um, region but do that right across the world and build connections with people from North America to Australia and absolutely everywhere in between. And that was the opportunity that the internet provided me back in those early days. But of course, in those early days, we didn't have the risks and the dangers that, that you know, have now become apparent. Um, and over the past sort of, you know, sort of 12 to 15 years, I've got more immersed in the, um, in the online safety space, in the work that we do in schools and colleges with you know, with young people, making them aware of, you know, that not that the internet is a, is a place that you don't want to hang out, but being aware that the internet is a place. And that's really important to remember. But it's also a place where risk can occur. And it's about using it positively and responsibly so that you can reduce your risk and still get all of the benefits that the internet technology and social media provides. So my education is very much about positive and responsible use of the online platforms. And, and then also from a cybersecurity point of view, trying to simulate how risk can happen online. So, so in a workshop, for example, we would do some social engineering simulations where I would maybe bring a student forward in, a, in an assembly and we would maybe unlock their phone in front of all of the other students and it blows people's minds how that can be done or maybe we would do some basic mentalism in relation to extracting some personal information that only that person would know uh, and that type of simulation really helps people understand how vulnerable they can be in the online space and the importance of protecting personal information and, and being safe in that online space. Do you think, because this is what I was going to ask you as well, but in terms of, do you think that sort of online safety issue has increased over years? Or do you think, because now there's so many new apps coming out all the time, like I know TikTok is like pretty new, um, you know, and as, as there's more sort of new technology coming out, new apps, the parents, it's, it's harder for parents and older people to sort of keep up to date with what their kids are using. So do you think that that sort of online safety issue has increased over years or do you think kids are actually becoming more tech savvy and more knowledgeable as they become more tech focused? I think it's important particularly with um, young people to give them credit where credit's due and I think many young people now are, are aware of the dangers and the risks of the internet and social media. There's no doubt in my mind that that's, that, that's the case. Um, where it sort of becomes a little bit difficult is the um, you have got another generation of people who maybe are parents of these young people who maybe don't understand the risks and the dangers of social media. And therefore, the education in the home is really important. So there's not a school in the land that's not doing work when it comes to educating children and young people about how to be safe online. Like lots of schools are doing that work and that work continues. Um, and it's so important that that's happening within a school because that's where you can get the message out to many people. Uh, that's where you can keep that message alive as well. Where you sort of have a little bit of a disconnect is, 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 is in the home uh, where technology is being used at an ever increasing pace. Um, there's much more technology in the home now than there ever was. Therefore, there's potentially much more risk. Uh, and I was talking about this recently with a safeguarding colleague of mine, because there's so many devices now that you have to think, well, what's the risk in the smartphone being used? What's the risk in the family computer being used? What's the risk in the smart TV being used in the living room to access the internet? So there are lots of different risks now that we didn't have when I started on the internet, when we got our family computer back in the late 90s. Yeah. And I can remember that huge computer that we had, like it was just one computer that plugged into the internet and it was dial up. Yes. So it was, 
it was so slow and it would put most people off at the best of times from using it, uh, unless you were somebody like me who, that you persevered with it. But there also wasn't the volume of people that were online, um, that are now online back then. And therefore there wasn't the risk, particularly in and around cybercrime. Um, there's a, obviously a growing uh, cybercrime economy now. Um, more and more cybercriminals are using the internet. Uh, more and more cybercriminals are using things like the dark web. So there is huge risks that still exist today. We have to make sure from the young person's point of view who's getting the education in schools that we evolve the education. So we make sure that we're not talking about the same thing all the time because the reality of it is it marches on. And if we're giving incorrect information or we're not giving up-to-date information, then it's not going to be helpful in managing the risk because the young people have to be able to manage risks themselves and also the parents have to be aware of the risks as well. So education when it comes to online safety is very much twofold. We got to deliver it in schools to the young people, but we also got to make sure we're delivering it to mums and dads and parents and carers and even grandparents who are now the primary carers, not in the current uh, climate that we're in because of COVID-19, but pre all of this, many grandparents would have been responsible while mom and dad was out working uh, in picking up the kids from school and helping with the homework. And also then in the grandparents' home, there is technology that young people can be using. So it is important that we make sure that we're getting that education to parents and we're also getting that education to grandparents and also carers as well, so that we make sure that holistically everybody's getting the information. It's one of those things too, like you're saying, like the risks, different things can, can crop up and scams, you know, can evolve, but it's more like teaching critical thinking and how to address that and, and know how to deal with that when those sort of things do pop up it absolutely is it's about yeah and you're completely right it's about yeah it's about engaging your brain a lot of the times and it's about being aware of where the risk can happen in the online space and as i always say if something is too good to be true then it often is but many people can fall for a lot of the scams online because they're they're in an environment that they're they're using they're not really understanding that they're going on to a place Although they're in the safety and security of their home, they're still going to another place. And, and whilst their front door is closed downstairs and their windows are locked and all of that, they're still going into other places, but they're also inviting risk into their home as well. That if they click on something and they download it to their computer, for example, a form of malware, that that can infect their machine, it can encrypt their computer, and it can then present them with a ransom demand to get those files unlocked. So there's a risk that you've just invited into your home through the technology and through the internet. So it is about being aware, it is about engaging with, in critical thinking, it is about you know, putting some very simple steps in place that you can use to protect yourself and, and just being careful. Always check things before you click on them. If you're unsure about anything, you, know, you can always stop. You, know, you don't have to proceed, you can click, you, know, you can stop or you can go across to the Action Fraud website, for example, and, uh, and do a quick search on what are the latest scams. You can check out my own website where typically we did a, a blog post in the past couple of weeks which looked at the top five cyber scams which are currently doing the rounds. So again, if you're ever in doubt, you can always stop before you click and you can go and check out some information just to make sure that you're not clicking on something that could invite that risk into your home. That's what I was going to ask you, but when actually because um, I was going to talk about the blog about cyber scams because I know um, we posted that on Sync and I as well. Did you, is this something you would have anticipated in lockdown, you know, that this sort of cyber crime would, I don't know if it's, if it's risen or it's just sort of new types of scams are coming out because of this, but is this something that you would have expected? It's definitely risen and it's definitely something I would have expected. And I did talk about this actually before it, whenever there was talk about lockdown and people going to be spending more time in their home, that initially sparked alarm bells for me um, because people are going to be spending more time online. Uh, they're going to be using technology at an ever more increasing rate. Uh, they're also going to let their guard down because they're seeking out information especially relating to COVID-19 and coronavirus, because you know, they're looking for the latest information and that's an opportunity for opportunists, such as the cyber criminals. They love this type of um, 
you know, uh, rise in terms of people using the technology because it presents them with an opportunity to target more people. And what they do is then they just piggyback off trending topics. They just piggyback off whichever is the content that people are searching the most. And, and, and they just do simple, very basic. I mean, not complex stuff. I mean, most of the stuff that I have come across is very low level, but it's very basic. Uh, but nonetheless, people are still, in, still falling for it and they're clicking on things and they're sharing things on social media and they're giving away personal information or they're signing up for something because they want to find out, you know, how it can potentially help them or protect them. And it's just the opportunist nature of the cyber criminal capitalizing at people's misfortune, at the current situation that we're in, and looking to take advantage of people. So being vigilant is very important. And as this goes on even longer, we're going to see more and more of this. I mean, there was certainly a peak in March in terms of cybercrime, and that has continued to happen. So it is really important that people are aware of those risks and dangers and just make sure that they're protecting themselves as much as possible. Simple stuff, up-to-date antivirus on their computer. Very basic, very simple, but will go a long way to protecting you if you're clicking on anything suspicious. You know, it's not perfect, but it's better than having nothing in place. Being vigilant on social media platforms, particularly in and around things that you're seeing popping up on your newsfeed, uh, because it is difficult due to the amount of content that's being uploaded to social media platforms, always to, to be able to sift through what's, what's fake and what's not, um, what's genuine and what's not. And those are things that it's difficult at the best of times for people to spot. There's definitely one, I've seen a new one sort of popping up about the furlough scheme. You know, people are getting emails that they're entitled to this like sort of furlough compensation, like upwards of 600 grand. And it's one of those things, I think, like you said, for the most part, a lot of people now are sort of catching themselves on in a sense and realizing that, well, that's too good to be true. But a lot of people, and like you said as well, maybe the older generation, grandparents and things, it's hard for them to think that people could be so... I suppose malicious in taking advantage of such a a global health you know situation but but they do and, and they want to take advantage of people and they don't really have much have much care it's, it's harder to humanize people at the other side of a computer and that's that's the challenge uh, and the thing about it is many of these scams that we see whether they're coming from in some cases, you know, they're, 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 they're receive, people are receiving emails that they trust is coming from an organization that they've maybe had a connection with before or they've done some business with. And what you have is you have the cyber criminals um, purporting to be uh, representatives, representatives from, you know, well-known businesses and brands and global organizations and also government institutions um, you know, sending out these emails, phishing emails, uh, and they, sometimes they look very genuine. And that's the thing. It's very difficult for people to spot because they've, they've been very clever and creative in their approach. Um, but there are always telltale signs that people need to be on the lookout for. You know, being aware that your bank or, you know, or financial institution is never going to ask you for your PIN number or your passcode. You know, you know, being aware that, you know, that that information is personal and private to you and should never be shared with anybody, um, that the bank's never going to phone you up and ask you to move money to a secure account. Those things just don't happen. And we hear a lot of um, messages on the radio. We hear a lot of messages online from organizations, you know, saying, look, we don't do this. This doesn't happen. And again, I receive text messages on a regular basis from you know well-known financial institutions here in northern ireland and they're letting me know that they've been made aware of a number of you know scams which are doing the rounds at the moment and they're giving you some information in a text message but even sometimes i worry about that because you know if you're not paying attention it could be a, a smishing scam for example mm -hmm. so it's sometimes important to double check uh, that any correspondence that you receive from any organization is genuine. And if you're ever in doubt, you know, go onto the internet, go onto that genuine website from that particular organization or institution, pick up the phone and call them and tell them you've received this before you do anything. It's always better to be, you know, acting on the side of caution before you send any money or you make a payment. And this is the other thing I wanted to touch on as well. Just in terms of since the whole lockdown, um, the house party app 
obviously became really, really popular, especially at the beginning of the lockdown. And then there was the whole sort of scandal where a lot of people thought that they were getting hacked um, because of House Party, um, you know, like their bank account or their PayPal or even their Netflix accounts were getting hacked. And then this all sort of got blamed in the House Party app. Um, do you want to just talk a bit about that? And like, is it the case, are there any apps that are just dangerous, you know, that you just sh shouldn't be signing up for? Or do you think it's more of a case of just being vigilant? I think it's just a case of, you know, look, technology is not perfect. And I've always said this, you know, there is no app or platform or website or any piece of technology that is 100% perfect. There are always vulnerabilities. Software by its very nature has vulnerabilities. Um, over time, these vulnerabilities get fixed in the form of patches. And that's really important from anybody who's producing software that they're aware of where the vulnerabilities lie. And if there is a fix that needs to be made, they do it in a timely manner. And they always think about protecting the data and protecting their users. So I think it would be fair to say that, you know, most of the aforementioned platforms that I've talked about, you know, for the most part, you know, it's a business that they're in and they, they, they obviously want to be making sure that they're as secure as possible. But I think, you know, there's no real sure way to ensure that any platform that you're using is completely secure and completely safe. And I think you always have to keep that at the back of your mind. And that plays into being careful about what information you're disclosing on the platform. That plays into being careful about the password that you're using when you're signing up. Look, the reality of it is, Neve, 60% of people use the same one password everywhere. I mean, people are lazy. I'll be honest. You know, there, the people don't, we're talking about hygiene at the moment in the coronavirus and washing your hands. Let's talk about digital hygiene for a moment. People don't practice good digital hygiene. They sign up for things, you know, willy-nilly. Um, they don't pay attention to the terms and conditions. They use the same password more than once. They don't really set up very difficult security questions. A large percentage of people don't activate two-factor authentication or two-step verification. So there's, there's loads of stuff that people could be doing better, but they don't. And then suddenly when there's a massive data breach, there's a huge outcry. You know, and rightly so, because, you know, that's people's personal information posted online or involved in a, in a data breach and now available somewhere for someone. So it is important that we start right at the very beginning. So if you're signing up for a platform, I don't care what platform it is, whether it's House Party, Facebook, or any of these platforms for that matter, make sure that you don't use the same password more than once. Set up a unique password for every platform that you use. And people always go to me, oh, but that's going to be a nightmare. How am I going to remember them all? Use a password manager, right? There are a couple of very good password managers that are in the marketplace at the moment. Yes, they're not perfect either, but they do help. Don't be writing down passwords in a little book that somebody can steal and nick. Don't be writing them on your phone and your notes. Use a secure app such as a password manager where you can securely store those passwords but many of the password managers then provide you with an opportunity to generate a unique password for every platform that you use. And that's great because it gets you into that habit. And you never have more than one password ever in your head because you don't need to be remembering what the password is for some app that you might use on a, re on a, you know, a regular basis because the password manager will store that security for you. So there are things that we can do when it comes to those things. So, I would always say to people, you know, we're going to continue to use House Party and all of these platforms. And yes, they've got benefits. And yes, there's, there's pros and cons to them all. But we need to start with our own digital hygiene. We need to make sure that we're not disclosing too much personal information online. We're also aware that, you know, whenever we become, um, you know, aware of a digital uh, data breach, for example, <clears throat> that we make sure that we go back in and we change your password. Take a look at the Have I Been Puned website, for example, which is a great platform which will allow you to enter your email address and it will tell you if your email address has ever been involved in a data breach. The amount of people that I come across who aren't even aware of that website and its existence. And that was created by a security researcher called Troy Hunt, which, has, which he has uploaded, I think, 771 million unique email addresses and 21 million unique passwords which he found uh, on the largest data breach called collection number one in 2019. So he adds to that on an ongoing basis. 
So that's a great tool for people to be aware of and also set up the alert so that they will notify you if your email address is ever involved in a data breach. And it's important that you act on that as well. If you get an email from them saying that your email address has been involved in a data breach, again, look at the recommendations that they give you. Most of the time they're going to tell you where it happened, when it happened, they're also going to tell you what information was disclosed in the data breach. It might be your first name, it might be your last name, it might be your email address, could be your password. And then they're going to give you some steps to follow. It's important that you follow those steps and go in and change your password. But that's why I always say to people, never use the same password more than once. Because if you're being lazy with your passwords, if your email address is involved in a data breach and or your password, that person then has access to all of your online accounts. And there is a good chance that that information is being sold somewhere in some digital dark alley. It happens. I think accountability, like you said, is a big thing there. Because I think when people want to download apps through, they're so, because everyone's so impatient nowadays and everyone's so used to having things happen so quickly for them, they're just hastily like, oh, I'll just stick in, you know, the password I always use or, you know, like my mother's maiden name um, just to get the account up and running and they just do everything quite quickly. And then whenever sort of data breaches happen, they think, oh, well, that must be the app. Like, you know, that people just tend to blame the app. They don't, they don't think about blaming themselves um, in such a way. But I think something I've personally come across as well when people, so when a lot of people, you know, I told them about the house party app, I was like, it's not specifically the house party app that's dangerous. You know, you just need to be taking more caution whenever you're signing into these things and logging up. Um, a lot of people delete apps from their phone and think that that's it, but they actually, people need to realize that down or deleting an app from your phone or from your iPad or computer, that doesn't mean your account's been deleted. You know, like you still have an online identity with that specific platform. Yeah, exactly. And if you're looking to delete accounts, you need to just look at the terms and conditions because there'll always be a process that you need to follow within the platform. And you're right, if you just delete the app, that doesn't mean that that, that information contained within that platform you know, ends there because they're still retaining that data unless you've told them otherwise. So I would always say to people, if you're looking to delete apps, Yes, you know, you, you're going to want to delete it off your phone, but I would look into the terms and conditions. I would go into the settings. Most apps, you know, will have something in the settings which will tell you about their process. And they'll, they might even have an option for you to close your account in some cases. So that's a good idea to do that as well. But also just being aware then that any apps as well that you've signed up to where you've used, let's say, your social media login details, there is a likelihood that that's connected with your social media account as well. So you're going to want to go into that platform. You're going to want to check your app permissions and you're going to want to disconnect those app permissions as well, because there's always a couple of steps that you need to follow to ensure that that account is closed completely and that the information is not, you know, continuing to be passed or indeed continuing to be mined. And that's really important because we're looking at data mining here and data mining is very important. And that's why this information is so valuable to these platforms, because the data is where the value lies, because the more data you have or data sets that you have on people, the more marketing opportunities that that presents for the companies and organizations that are using the platform to advertise their products and services. And this is definitely a huge experiment that's happening, you know, and has been happening. You know, this is the biggest social experiment of our time. Never before has there been much as much data available online about people. And it's not a question, is my data online? Uh, it is. Um, it's actually, where is my data being held? How secure is that data? Um, what information could be publicly searchable on the, on the open web? Uh, you mentioned this a couple of moments ago about that digital you know, presence, that digital footprint or that digital identity. Um, everybody has a digital identity now, and I think it's important for people to be aware of what the public search engine knows about them as well. And if there are things there that you maybe, you know, posted in the previous, let's say when you're a student at you know, secondary school, and this is something that comes up all the time in the work that I do, you know, many young people who are using social media when they're 13, 14, and 15, the reality of it is they aren't thinking about when they're 20, 21, and 22, when they're leaving university and they're trying to get a job, because that's way down the line. That's not in the current time, and that's not in the present. But the reality of it is that those 
uh, young people have what's called an online reputation. And in the future, there is a potential that an employer or a company or an organization could stumble across that while they're searching. And, you know, again, some of the content that that person has created may not be appropriate or may not, you know, represent that company or that organization. And that could certainly cause them some problems in the future. So I always say to young people, be careful about what you're posting and what you're sharing online. Make sure you're giving a good account of yourself. Absolutely use the platforms and the technology to build your online reputation. There is so many positives out of all of this that you can actually influence people before you even apply for a job with them, mm -hmm. that you are the person for that role. You know, if you're interested in software development, you can be creating your own website, showcasing your apps. If you're into multimedia education, it doesn't matter what sector you're in, the internet now sort of stretches across all of the different industries. And there's an opportunity to really stand out from the crowd and, and that's what we need to be thinking about, particularly when we've got younger people using social media, make sure that they're protecting and managing their online reputation. Would that online reputation topic, would that be one of the main concerns that you would hear from parents and kids when you go to schools or what other are the sort of concerns that they would bring up to you? Or, you know, if you're, if you're speaking to either parents or teachers or um, teenagers or children, you know, do their concerns about online, like their online presence, does that differ? No, it doesn't really, because, you know, many parents are aware of that. Back in 2018, um, you know, I wrote a book um, called The Student's Guide to an Epic Online, actually 2015, The Student's Guide to an Epic Online Reputation. Um, and that was all about sort of, you know, helping young people use the internet and social media positively and responsibly. Because what I found whenever I was talking about online reputation back then, I mean, I'm talking, I was talking about this type of stuff in 2014, 15, 16. Um, it's only now that more and more organizations and people are starting to cotton on to the idea of, wow, you know, we need to be careful about what people are posting and sharing online. And, it's, and online reputation has become a huge focus right now. Whereas back then it wasn't as big as it should have been um, because the reality of it is that many people have created a digital footprint over a period of time and the longer content is online the more places it can appear and most people then forget about what they've posted in the past and it's only whenever somebody points it out to them that it becomes a problem and there's been lots of examples of where this has happened where somebody has posted something when they were 12 13 14 or 15 and it's come back then when they were 19 20 or 21 or you know uh, you know something has surfaced as a result of somebody taking a screenshot and then it appeared somewhere online. So I was sort of championing those messages even back in 2015, which was the sort of reason behind writing my book, my first book, The Student's Guide to an Epic Online Reputation, because I wanted to make sure that whatever young people were searching for information, there was a resource that they could read, that they could access, that talked about this in a little bit of detail. But also it was a helpful for parents in that respect as well so that parents knew what they need to be aware of when it comes to helping their young person manage and protect their online reputation so that still is is, is very important even today in 2020 and that's a lot of the things that i still talk about but also the safeguarding aspect is really important in terms of the cyber safeguarding because cyber safeguarding is really important that we make sure that young people aren't putting themselves at risk you know, parents are aware that there are people who are not who they say they are in the online world. We have things like revenge porn, which are on the rise. Um, we have image sharing, which can be a problem as well, making sure that, you know, young, pe young people are aware of the impact of sharing images online and also being aware of other things from a parental point of view, such as, um, you, know, um, you know, indecent images of children and young people being posted online, um, you know, uh, child sexual exploitation and all of those things that we as parents and carers and guardians need to be aware of and we make sure that we safeguard our children and young people as much as possible and also that we think about the things that we can do in the home as well that's why regular conversations are really important when it comes to online safety you don't need to be a cyber security expert as a parent um, you just need to be aware of what are some of the dangers that we've already talked about today and how can you best manage them in your home having a parental control in place uh, obviously helps you know filter out content which shouldn't be accessed uh, being aware of vpns and how they can be used to circumvent parental controls 
um, also being aware of screen time boundaries and, and something that often gets overlooked as well as the impact that screen time can have on mental health and well-being. I'm not saying that all screen time is bad and I've never ever said that. But what I do say to people is it's about looking at how the screen is being used. If you're spending eight hours a day on social media, it's probably not going to be good for your mental health or your well-being. Mm -hmm. If you're gaming for eight hours a day, it's not going to be good for your mental health and your well-being. Nor would be sitting in the pub for eight hours a day drinking 10 pints yeah. would not be good for your mental health or your well-being. Sometimes people find it difficult to self-regulate. And that's particularly difficult maybe uh, if, a, if a person is younger because there's no boundaries in place. And I always say to parents, have screen time boundaries in place and be aware of the length of time it's been spending, spent online, but also what the screen is being used for. And that's about you know, keeping yourself up to date and informed and having those regular conversations. I think that's really important too, Wayne, because like you said, I sort of grew up in the, you know, you said you were coming in sort of into the social media age. I grew up with Bebo. That was my initial um, sort of first taste of social media. And I think I was like 12 or 13. But even then compared to now, I think people don't realize that young people nowadays, they don't remember what life was ever like before having a smartphone or Instagram. Um, and, you know, I never saw a picture of my own face back when I was 13 as much as kids are doing now, you know, with selfies and, and taking videos and everything. Um, but that whole self-regulation thing, I think, like, you know, you're saying that the younger generation probably can find it very hard. I think it's something that even people in their 20s and 30s need to be aware of, you know, for their own mental health. Um, the self-regulation thing, it's a really important thing to be passing on down to children, but it can it can affect adults i think almost just as bad it's sort of one of those things that people need to become more aware about as well you know it's not just the younger generation that can affect your own mental health whether you're in your 20s or your 30s or your 50s no absolutely and, and that's the challenge because social media and the internet now and technology is so woven into all aspects of our life um, you know, we're using it now more than ever and we're spending more time on it. Um, people, you know, obviously, you know, are following people online for certain reasons. They're consuming content for certain reasons and, and all of that content influences you in some way. Um, and we've seen, you know, impacts around mental health and well-being and digital uh, well-being as well and also people looking for ways to manage that you know as well in terms of taking digital detoxes uh, and taking a little bit of time on offline like just in the past couple of days I went through my own Facebook page and I didn't I didn't unfriend people but I unfollowed people and I unfollowed a ton of people yeah. um, and I just just stuff that I felt you know was negative or somebody was always going and I, I'm talking about you know content there from from well-known organizations as well and, and media outlets and I just thought you know what I don't want to hear or see any more of this I don't feel that this you know is good for me consuming this content um, and what I started to do was unfollow 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 mm -hmm. now I haven't unfriended but I've just unfollowed and what I've done is I've cleaned up my newsfeed so now what's happening is I'm seeing actually a lot of the content that was actually being drowned out by these bigger organizations I'm starting to see that content now that's the content that I want to see um, and it's actually you know much better now that I've taken that time to do that so I always encourage people every so often go through your newsfeed um, unfollow you know you know as well you know clean up those things so that you're making sure that the content that you're consuming online is the content that you want to consume but also be aware of the time that you're spending online you know check out your screen time usage for example you know i go out for a walk now most evenings and i don't take the phone with me mm -hmm. i leave it in the house i switch off my phone now at bedtime every evening as soon as i get into bed i turn my phone off i don't use it as an alarm clock and I find that I'm sleeping much better because if there was ever a time where I was, let's say, a little bit restless at night or I couldn't sleep, the first thing I would do is pick up my phone and there I would be scrolling through Twitter or scrolling through Facebook. And before I knew it, it'd be like three o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. and then I'd be getting up, I'd be, <clears throat> I'd be tired, I would be frustrated, you know, I, and it just wouldn't be good for my mental health. So even somebody like me, who's such a fan of technology, has also had to adapt and also making sure that I'm taking steps to manage my mental health and my well-being. Because if we don't, 
then that's where we can start to run into issues. Always remember that you control the technology, not the other way around. But it is important that you do acknowledge and be aware of it, of, 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 of those aspects that I've already mentioned, and you manage it as well because it can impact your mental. And it doesn't matter what age you are. You're absolutely right. It doesn't matter. And in fact, I know a lot of senior, senior citizens now that are using social media as well and also spending a lot more time online. Uh, and sometimes becoming more isolated as a result of this naive because mm -hmm. they're they're using the technology and there may be you know obviously we're in lockdown now so you can't go out and many of these people are cocooning right now but you know they're spending certainly more time online and there is an isolation aspect as well as a result of social media because you don't have that human contact 100 percent. It's, it's very overstimulating like you said like waking up and being cranky or scrolling through your phone and it becomes such a habitual thing for everybody you know wake up first thing in the morning that's what you do you go on um but i think as well because everyone's in lockdown and a lot of people are bored they're they're cleaning out their houses or their wardrobes so like you said like doing a digital cleanup as well is just as important and i would encourage people to do that absolutely right now you know what i mean people are redding out their sheds and painting their houses and do all sorts of stuff now but absolutely use this time as a way to clean up your online like go through your linkedin or go through your facebook and you know go through your twitter and again if people are being nasty and inappropriate and just spouting off you know just nonsense you know that you know the sort of vile that we do see online and let's be honest i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff there particularly on certain platforms that you know can be very negative towards people can be very you know um can have a big impact on people's mental health and their well-being so it is important to go in there and i and i, I always say to people use the tools uh, the mute button is great actually i actually love the mute button and i frequently mute people um if if they're there's too much of them or they're they're being too negative or they're always sort of you know spouting off something um that 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 doesn't stand true to my values um and, and again i like positivity i'm a positive sort of guy um, don't get me wrong i do have my off days as well but but i do love positivity and i gravitate towards people online that are, are positive yeah yeah and i also you know not to say that you know you have to be positive all the time but but again, helping people out is really important. If you see somebody struggling, reach out to them. You know, and I, I do this regularly as well. If I can help somebody in any way, reach out, ask the question. If I can jump on a Zoom call with you and spend 15, 20 minutes with you, you want to ask me, you know, always, you know, always know that there are people out there that can help you. You know, technology can make people very isolated and very lonely. And also, you know, what you're seeing on people's news feeds is, is not a true reflection of a lot of the times what's happening. Um, and we see that as well. It's a filtered view of what somebody wants you to see. Um, and it's created in that way. Not everybody is having a wonderful time or driving that nice car, living in that nice house or taking that holiday before the COVID-19. Exactly. Yeah, this is, this is a big topic as well, I think. And it's good that more people are coming out and talking about this in general on social media. Um, everything you see you know like you said it's it's what people want want you to see and getting that digital detox and, and realizing you know being more in tune with the real world i think in a way in a weird way covid19 and the lockdown has kind of helped with that because people are now actually craving getting outside and getting away from their phones more and maybe whenever we do come out of lockdown on the other side i know a lot of people think that you know some people might never want to go near their phones again once lockdown's over and they're actually allowed out to pubs and restaurants and you know, shopping centers to see people again so in a sort of backwards sort of way all this uh, over usage of technology now because everyone's locked inside might end up resulting in a bit of a better detox at the other side of it <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's the thing, you know, like that, those are the things that we can't ever forget, you know, because we do want to get back to a time where, you know, we are, you know, we're living in that world again, where we can do those things. And, you know, we all miss those things. I certainly miss those things as well. And I think, you know, we're seeing, I see some good examples of people who are using social media in that way to, to showcase the time before COVID-19. Uh, and that that's great because that gets you thinking about all the things that you'd like to do and the places that you'd love to explore. Uh, and that's a great use of it as well through the technology as well. I mean, even to be able to do this uh, Zoom call this morning and be able to still have that conversation, to be able to still reach out to people and share some some helpful information with them as well in the form of a podcast is so good as well. Because I was thinking about this the other day. Can you imagine if we didn't have the technology? Yeah. 
Can you imagine? And that's what I always say to people, you know, like, you know, there are people who've lived through more difficult times potentially uh, in previous generations. And not to say that this is not a difficult time. Of course it is. But there have been people who have, you know, went through uh, wars, uh, depressions, recessions and all of those types of things um, and, and I've come out stronger and I think we will come out stronger as a result of all of this. Uh, I think the technology you know has certainly helped many people. Uh, we're seeing so many great uses of technology in this current uh, time. I think we're going to see more exciting developments as well as we learn to manage this virus as well, how technology helps with that as well and that's exciting and that can only be a positive. What do you think as well, Wayne, like what's your perspective? Because I know this is quite like a hot topic in the news at the minute about the contact tracing apps that are being used. Um, they're due to be implemented nationwide soon to help trace the spread of coronavirus between different people. What do you think, what's your perspective on that from a sort of privacy and, and data ethical point of view? I think with this particularly, there's going to be some trade-off that we're going to have to be um, comfortable with first and foremost. I think, um, yes, I, like anybody, do have concerns about privacy and about data protection and those types of things. Um, that's important. And I think, you know, transparency is going to be very important as well. You know, we need to be aware of the transparency aspect of what's going to happen with the data. So where that data resides, who's going to have access to it, how can it be used? Uh, is it going to be able to be used after this pandemic uh, in some shape or form? You know, and those things are very important for the, the, the creators of these apps, the government in behind it as well. Um, those things are very important. So I think people need to be aware of that in first light. Um, going back to the trade-off aspect, I think we're going to have to have a compromise somewhere, Neve. I think that, you know, <clears throat> in order for this to work effectively, there's got to be data. Um, and that data has got to be stored and that data has got to be analyzed. Uh, and that's, you know, part and partial of the technology aspect of all of this. Um, from my point of view, I think personally, I think it can help uh, in the sense of being able to trace and track contact where people have been, uh, be aware of any sort of flare-ups in different parts of the country, maybe help localize those flare-ups, manage those flare-ups, push re resources towards those flare-ups. Because right now we really don't know a lot of that information, but you know, getting somewhat a large percentage of the population using some smartphone app on their phone will definitely help. Uh, I think we need to get over that hurdle of the data, uh, how it's handled, but also make sure that we're transparent as possible. And I think what's really important in all of this is that whether this app, and it's likely that it will come from a, a, a government-led initiative, um, it's important that the people are who are explaining the app and the technology behind it understand it themselves. And I've watched quite a few um, news reports recently where there have been people who've been talking about this technology who they themselves didn't really know much about it. And that's worrying for somebody like me. <laughs> you've got to be presenting this information in the right way and in the right format. And you've got to make sure that you have somebody there who can answer the questions, like the data transparency, like how it's all going to be handled and how it's going to be worked. You can't really have some, and no disrespect to the politicians, they're doing a great job right now. They're doing the best that they can do. And many politicians are taking flack. Um, and, and again, you know, that's a different conversation. But sometimes when they're talking about these things, they're maybe not as au fait as they should be, particularly when they're on a national uh, news program or they're on a, a, a question and answers program where they're being asked those probing questions by journalists who have clearly done their research, mm -hmm. uh, clearly structured the question in a certain way that they want to extract the information that's going to be of best benefit to the viewer, the politician or the representative from government is not able to handle that question. So I think that's really important. Something that I'm concerned about at the moment in terms of any of the uh, programs that I've watched currently or the, the output that I've seen currently coming from from those organizations that are leading the the, the 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 approach in using this technology what about because there's obviously that sort of difference going on now between the republic of ireland is using a, a decentralized approach to the app you know it's going to be just stored in the background of smartphone devices and then the uk has opted for 
you know, all the data to be put on a central server. Um, because mm. I know a lot of privacy experts are sort of leaning more towards the Republic of Ireland's approach. What's your view on that? Because in terms of obviously we're in Northern Ireland, so the cross-border relations, people um working across the border, they don't know how that's gonna work because the apps won't be compatible with each other. You know, what what's your overall view on that? Well, that's gonna be the problem. Um, because the more apps that we have the more difficult it's going to be to manage all of this. Um, and that's, that's, that's the challenge um, because if we've got one app that we have to use for the Republic of Ireland and then another app that you're going to use for Northern Ireland and maybe even a separate app for the UK. I mean, there's three apps. I mean, you know yourself, like whenever you've got more than, you know, one app for a particular, you know, and I have, I have certainly some apps on my phone that you can, you can use for multiple purposes. Um, and then you have individual apps. The reality of it is there's like only a handful of apps on my phone that I use at any given time. Most of the other apps actually are just sitting there in the background. They don't actually get touched at all or used. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have a challenge, particularly if we've got people who are living in the border regions uh, where I live, for example, that you've got like, like literally from my house, like as the crow flies, you're potentially 10 minutes. Um, from the border so then does that mean that i have to use that app um do i have to use the the app for the uk then and do i have to just be like would it be a case of where i'm living on the geolocation end of things uh what i more likely have to use so i think there's there's all of those things that are going to be problematic for people and we have to remember and i know this from smartphone apps if you make it difficult for people they're not going to use it if the app is difficult to use clunky doesn't function is slow, is non-responsive, da 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 people are not going to engage in it. So I think there's a big, uh, you know, big problem as well with this technology as well, that if we, we're going to get one shot at this, I think. Mm. And I think if we roll this out and we get it wrong, it's not going to be used. Um, also, have we thought about the population of people who don't use smartphone apps? Um, who, and I, and, I, and I know this from personal experience in, in app projects that we're involved in, um, as the age profile rises, you may not have uh, those people using smartphone apps. So we're going to potentially alienate a, a population of people who just just don't use those types of things. Uh, yes, we'll get an uptake from maybe you know my demographic and younger certainly. But what about you know older people who maybe don't have a smartphone, you know don't use the technology in that sort of a way? Is there going to be you know? problems around that. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see, certainly. Uh, I think from that decentralized point of view, I think certainly I, I, I like the idea of that. Um, how practical it is, is another thing, uh, is another question um, in relation. And again, this is where the devil is in the detail. And that's what I will say. The devil is in the detail in terms of what the Republic of Ireland do and also what the UK government do. The devil will be in the detail of how that is going to work and from a top level point of view we hear decentralized is going to be a great thing but where is the detail that says that, that is going to be the most effective way to generate the sort of data mm. and the outputs that the government is going to want to, to to have access to to make those informed decision when it comes to public health exactly because i know that the uk government said that in terms of their approach that that's why they're going for the, the central server um, aspect because they want the most. And, and again, like you say, like, you know, the, the detail needs to be presented and the evidence needs to be shown. But uh, I think it was a, a computer scientist from the University of Surrey said as well, like for it to work, at least 60% of the population needs to download it. You know, it has to be a, a group. It is almost like a social experiment, like you said. And um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be worrying if those uh, different sort of age groups within the nation are separated from that um, and then I think as well like you said like a lot of people are so skeptical now of because of, of COVID-19 and, and a lot of people are, are quite anti-government whether you're in the Republic of Ireland or Northern Ireland or the UK so yeah it'll, it'll be um, it'll be it is an interesting social experiment like you said before like um, generations before us like people that were going through the Spanish flu in 1918 they didn't have any of these options for tech to, to deal with so it is we're definitely living in I've heard the term unprecedented a million times, but that's the only way to describe it. I know, and, and that's the thing about it. Um, I, I just think with any of the technology, people have to remember that there's going to be a trade-off. Okay, it's all right me getting on my privacy horse and saying, no, 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 blah, I don't want this and this, that and the other and, you know, and a load of reasons for it. But I also don't want to be living in the current climate that we're living in forever. 
Um, and, and, and I do want to get beyond this and I do want to protect lives and I do want to make sure that, you know, the, the, the death rates are coming down and that, you know, people in, in care homes, for example, are protected. Uh, and also that we can, we can minimize as much as possible. And that's going to be a big challenge, the economic impact that we're going to have out of all of this. And if, if there's a trade-off that from a, from a data point of view that's going to help with this, then, then I suppose, would I be comfortable with that? I suppose my answer would be yes, um, because I, 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 I do want to get to a point where we get back to some form of normality. And if that means that you know, an, an app is going to help people log where they've been, who they've been in contact with or whatever, and provided that, that data is managed appropriately and responsibly, um, and that after we've moved beyond this, it's not used for any other reasons apart from what you know, we're, we're signing up to now, then, then I think personally, from my point of view, and this is just my opinion, that's you know, a trade-off that potentially I would be comfortable with making. I can see all of the arguments and I, and I, and I, and I respect those arguments and those opinions that people are saying uh, in relation to that. But I think that we have to be exploring these avenues and we have to be open to, to technology being used. And I do believe that there is going to be a trade-off and a compromise that people are going to have to make. Definitely. And um, Wayne, the other thing I wanted to ask you about just before we go, um, in terms of uh, is your learning development platform, it's called Cobabble, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. So is that available? Because I know you said like you're sort of, you've been trialing it with um, different companies over the last eight weeks. Is it something that, um, is it available for people to come and, and get off at the minute? Or is it just, are you just sort of partnering with those specific organizations? For the so what we're doing right now is we, we're sort of partnering with a couple of organizations. We're also making the app available um, to um, some child protection uh, social workers uh, across Northern Ireland who are using the app to access my own online safety content, but also my safeguarding colleague, Marcella Leonard's content as well. And we're collaborating myself and Marcella uh, Leonard from Leonard Consultancy in relation to creating uh, a batch of content that frontline child protection social workers have access to through the platform. And that's something that we're doing uh, at the moment for free for frontline social workers. Um, and we're making that content available to them. That's, that's something that, that, that we can do to help. Um, it's a small thing, but no doubt it's, you know, it's, it's very beneficial and very helpful because many people uh, with, w within the, the child protection space are also working remotely at the moment as well. And, and while those frontline services are, are still continuing and so important, it is helpful that we get the information out to people in, a, in a, an effective manner and an effective way. And that's what Cobabble helps us to do as well. So from that point of view, we're working with a couple of people and a couple of organizations at the moment, really just testing the platform, making sure that it's stable, making sure that it's working as it should work. Uh, we're developing new features and we're fine tuning it as well in the hope that we're going to be bringing on more businesses and organizations uh, and businesses and organizations out there who maybe want a cost-effective learning and development platform that is not, not difficult to manage, but also helps keep your employees engaged in your content. So another organization that we're working with at the moment is actually creating some COVID-19 learning and development tools so that you know, they can upload it to our platform and they can make their, company, their company's uh, social distancing guidelines available to employees through the Cobabble platform. And that's in a series of videos that the employee can watch and can access at a time that's convenient to them. So if there are any organizations that are interested in having a conversation about Cobabble, please do reach out, please do get in touch. We're always happy to have conversations. And also we're happy to see how the tool and the platform can help really more than anything right now, if it's a platform that you can utilize that can help your business or organization, because we're already hearing talk and, and Boris Johnson mentioned it yesterday uh, about people returning to work, that there will have to be educational resources available for employees in what that company's policies and procedures are in relation to managing the social distancing aspect of, of, of the coronavirus, uh, because that's what we're going to have to do initially, you know, to get back to some form of, of normality. So certainly people can reach out and get in touch. I'll, I'll link back as well in the when I'm posting 
this to sync, but it'll be on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and the rest of it as well. But I'll link back to your website and, and give a wee bit of information about Cobabble too. Super, super. Please do. Wayne, that's everything from me. If you want to add anything. No, not at all. I think it's been great to chat. Um, it's always good to sort of, you know, get on and have a discussion. And I think we've talked to, we talked to a lot of different things today. And I think, you know, you know, it's important that, you know, these types of, 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 of platforms are available for people to, to tap into, uh, to, to hear from other people, to hear from other uh, industry experts, or indeed to hear from people who've, who've got thoughts on the times that we currently live in. Because it's not just challenging for me, it's challenging for absolutely everybody. And, you know, and, you know, not to use the term, you know, we're all in this together, but we absolutely are. Uh, and we're only going to get out, this, out of this by working together. Um, and unless we, you know, we, we, there's some sort of massive change, in, you know, overnight, then we're going to be in this for the foreseeable future. Uh, and I think it is important that we explore the benefits of technology. Uh, we explore the opportunities that it can provide. And also that, you know, if there are businesses out there that are struggling, uh, that we make some form of help available to them. And this is a great platform for that to be able to happen because it makes people aware of other people who are out there who they might be able to, you know, touch base with, uh, get in touch with uh, and see if there's any synergies. Uh, and yes, you know, you know, we're not all making, you know, the, the business opportunities that we once were. You know that's not what it's all about right now it's about seeing can we help each other through this difficult challenging time and uh, i will i do believe that we will get back to a time where things will um hopefully be in some form of normality that we all knew and we can get out to the shopping centers and the movies and, and there are a few things that i'm looking forward to as well um some nice restaurants that i'm looking to visit that i dearly miss and also coffee shops <laughs> same i think it's interesting too though because what we're doing now um and I even saw a thing like on the on national BBC News the other day, you know, with TikToks and things like this is sort of like we're documenting history, you know, and the hundred tens or even hundreds of years to come, you know, people are gonna look back now and and uh you know, like you said before, like there's more data now than there ever has been. So there's gonna be a real array array of stuff for people in the future to look back on and be like, well, how did people in 2020 deal with COVID-19? How did they get through it? What did they talk about? So it, it's definitely um we're documenting history as as we're talking. <laughs> We are, we are, and hopefully this will help us in the future. Should we ever experience something like this in in, in our lifetime, but not just in our lifetime, but in other uh, future generations' lifetime, they'll be able to go back because it'll be so well documented, and there'll be yes. so much hopefully rich data which can be used uh, in the future to prevent things like this uh, from happening at the scale that they've happened. That's it for this week's episode of Tech Crack. For all things tech and business in Northern Ireland visit syncni.com. Have a good week.